entrepreneurs. This is Nicole the same. Welcome to Town Tales, the show where I interview leaders who have brought design thinking to their town and HR practices. In today's episode, we have a special show. I'm joined by Shomi from Singapore, who is the economy consumer banking technology agent at City. Shomi, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. So tell us a little bit, who are you and what's your story? Thanks, Nicole. I've got some little notes to introduce myself. So there you go. I am a creative artist, a human professional, and a technophile. So let me piece that together. If I just put my whole self together, I am uh, an innovation and human resources professional, and I work in the world of technology and banking. And that makes my life really exciting. Over the weekends, I do have another role. I am a teacher, performer, and choreographer of an Indian classical dance. So I kind of think of myself as an anthropologist as well. So that's a little about me. Wow, you sure have a lot of talents. <laughs> that's exciting. We should do another session on the Indian dance because I think, you know, all those artistic activities that we do outside of work can really inspire how, you know, how we bring creativity to work and uh, use design thinking as all around that perspective. So, and then the other thing I always ask is, what's your creative superpower? Ooh, that was my favorite question. Loved working on it. So here it goes. I call myself the bridge. Um, I hope you, you can see it. It's, it's a bridge with some water. And bridging the gap is my superpower. Um, when you look at the world, there are technologists and then there are non-technologists. There's the developer's world and the non-developer's world. There's this whole world of HR and there's this world of business. There's this difference in the world of arts and the science. Um, I tend to be the bridge. And if you see my life, it's almost half up in both. So I do work very closely with the developers, with the technologists, and I am the non-IT person in their world. And I can help bridge a lot of those gaps because a lot of those gaps are really about the mindset, about the way we look at about the perspectives we have. So <clears throat> I see myself at work as well as off work trying to just be that bridge. And I'm really passionate about that. I'm passionate about bridging the gap between the technology world and the non-technology world. I am passionate about uh, bridging the gap between that diverse workforce and the not very diverse workforce. I have worked in both worlds and I see the, the privileges and and I've actually worked towards bringing, moving from a completely similar workforce and team into a completely diverse mindset and, and team today. So it's really that bridge. And when I see myself accomplishing the end of the bridge, moving the needle, I kind of feel that, yes, that is my superpower. It is about bridging that gap, a gap that I see and a gap that may not be visible if you're part of this world or that world. So that's that's something that I wanted to bring up. What a cool superpower. I mean, what an incredible skill, not only in design thinking, but 
I think anywhere in the world these days. So I think we can meet more people like you with that superpower. <laughs> like to be the bridge. <laughs> yeah, the bridge across oceans. <laughs> so let's talk about, uh, so, so I have to ask, so banking doesn't come to mind as the first industry to me, uh, where I would expect to find design thinking. So tell us a little bit, how did it make its way to city? Thank you. So <clears throat> this is a journey some five years back when I just learned about design thinking. And I said, you know what, this is something I'm just curious about. And I am quite fortunate to be part of the technology world in banking. And I had a whole group of this, um, we have a next gen talent program. And each and every person said, yes, we want to be part of that workshop. So I find it quite easy to get a room full of uh, 30 people to come in and attend. I brought in my HR team as well. And we sat with the city FinTech. So there's a group of people in FinTech who work in a completely different way from the rest of the city. And they are certified by IDEO. So IDEO is the uh, approach that city has adopted. Um, to build the, the design thinking process. So we just sat through a whole workshop, a full day workshop going through it. And let me tell you what I thought before the workshop and after. So I thought I'm in HR, <clears throat> empathy should come very easily to me. So this should be a really easy thing for me. And I was wrong. So the first exercise when we were sitting and we were just asked to do that, that user research, to just write down notes without that judgment, to really empathize, I struggled, Nicole. Each and every piece of notes that I had taken were full of judgments. And that's what I get paid for. I get paid to kind of make judgments on people when they interview with me just over one conversation. I get mm -hmm. paid to just review a certain set of data and make judgments on them on what should be the next step. So it was almost like I need to stop doing that and to build this new skill and to embrace innovation and to embrace empathy, I need to just forget a lot of this um, interview assessment techniques. I had spent a lot of time in recruiting and get faster at it, quicker at it. In 30 minutes, what do you get out of a meeting? In 60 minutes, what do you get out of a meeting? So I had to get out of that. I had to get into this whole research mode that it wasn't enough. I need to observe more. I need to talk to more people. I need to get to the bottom of really understanding what is human-centered design or what is empathy. And that journey that I did five years back along with my group of technologists completely opened my mind. And it wasn't the workshop because you know that design thinking is really not about learning and the knowledge. It's really about the practice. So pretty much the next day, I knew I had to practice it every single day. So I started a whole set of experiments. I call it experiments because I will explain that there were certain things that hit, hit success and there were certain things that did not hit success. Um, and when I started this, it was, I was again fortunate and I'm going to always talk about what I'm fortunate about working with technologists and working with operations people who love processes, who love technology. They didn't consider this as a buzzword. So they really came in and they, um, they were happy to participate. And every single session of mine was sold out. They were all there. And they were co-creating the experience with me. 
Um, so, so that was really the five years back, the design thinking journey. And since then, I haven't stopped, haven't stopped a moment to do something. And if I get a blank piece of paper, a problem to solve, um, what I appreciate is even my HR colleagues, they get onto it, they learn something, a different way of co-creating that experience, and we end up um, practicing it. So what I found easy was the embracing of it. What I found really hard was letting go of a lot of our practices that led to the way we work today, whether it's recruiting, employee engagement, talent program, everything that we do is not necessarily design-led. It has design, but it is something that is done um, within with the experts. Um, and we have tons of people within the industry with expertise and the experts really decide what should be the participants' um, experience, which is slightly different from what we're trying to do today. So that's-, like that's You said so many great points. So let me just back up. So one was around, um, you, you work with the technology group. And so I've seen that before where different design thinking is in the business and you know some engineers know design thinking. You work with it, you know, every day on software design or agile or you know, related methods, right? So um, so it's kind of interesting. And then you then use that as you weigh in to say, you know, you know this method works and now it's also maybe try it for other areas. Area, so I, I love how you kind of got, got in that way. And then the second point about the interview, and that's uh, when I actually teach design thinking that to HR people, exactly why you, you know, we need to move to judgment in the recruitment interview where we're judging, assessing an individual on their skills. Totally normal. I mean, that's what we're communicating. But in a research or empathy interview in design. The mindset we need to have is curiosity and suspending judgment. And we're not assessing the individual, we're being curious about the points they might have around a situation that we might want to have. So I love that. And then the last one, also um, helpful for practitioners, is that you started with yourself. You noticed, you know, okay, what's hard, what's uncomfortable, and what I just learned. Then you didn't say, oh, Listen, I don't like it. It doesn't work for HR, you know, because it's hard. <laughs> but you said, you know, it's hard, but I, it, that means I need to unlearn certain things and I need to practice it so it becomes a habit for me and then I can bring it to the team. So, so I really, um, I, I think it's a really interesting point. Another one, we had a conversation before. I just wanted to, you to talk about this term a little bit because that really got stuck in my head. And when we talked initially, we talked about the term customer obsession. And I just couldn't get that out of my head, um, you know, that, that's something that, you know, from a business perspective, you guys are, you know, moving from customer experience to customer uh, obsession. And I was just pondering that notion, you know, what if we did the same with employees? I mean, we're not even yet at employee experience design. Imagine employee obsession. It sounds a little bit weird, anyways. But uh, <laughs> but <laughs> around, you know, tell us a little bit more about the customer obsession piece. Hmm. Wonderful. Thanks. Uh, customer obsession is slightly different from just customer experience, like you just said, right? Customer experience is when you really care about measuring 
the engagement level or the experience level beyond just the, the hard the in, initial metrics, right? Typically, we look at uh, what feedback was given, how many complaints we received, what was the satisfaction level, and that's not what customer experience measurement is all about. So it moves it to the experience. How did you like it? The feelings, and it it makes you care about what was the overall experience and some of the feelings level. But obsession is completely different. Obsession is really deeply caring about every single pain that your customer is going through, really empathizing with that, um, and trying to do something quickly about it. And the obsession is really about everybody feeling connected to work, everybody feeling engaged with the purpose of, of being customer obsessed. So it's a bit of a, of a cult. It's a bit of a engagement level. And you're right, employee obsession. Um, what's important for each of us in HR, an example, HR is a brilliant example. We are a support function. We are far away from customers. And when I asked that question to my team, what's customer obsession for us? And our obsession is not just employees and managers. It's also the customers, right? So what we wanted to do was, okay, I don't think we quite get it. So let's go and speak to those employees we have access to and are speaking every day to the customers. So we actually spent this January, the whole HR team, there were compensation people from my team, recruiting, um, uh, HR generalists, business partners, we all just went into the contact center. We spent some time, so we spent time with the contact center lead on a walkthrough of the whole experience. And the best part was when we listened into calls. So we had these shared um, microphones and we just sat in and listened to a few live calls. What that gave us were tons of takeaways, right? Um, if we cared about the customer who feels something good about City or feels something negative about City, we learn something even as a support function. And how can we enable this person who's speaking to that customer, um, give her a better environment, give her a better employee experience, give her support her in every possible way so she's able to convey that delight. And this is there in all our theory books. We've learned it in all our HR uh, programs, but it's very hard to put it back into our jobs. And an example is that the recruiter said, you know what, I now know how to change that job description. I now know how to actually call up and speak to my candidates because I have a little more empathy towards what they do because I've seen, I've heard, I felt it. So this is something which cannot be just taught in a, in a business school or in a school, and then you expect HR people to work it out. We have to keep walking into the lives of our employees. We have to keep going visiting there. So what I told said to them is, it's not just about January. I want us to do this as often as we can. So let's commit to at least once a quarter. But if not, if you have access to them, go in. I want to listen to three other calls. It will give you a new insight about that employee and how to get obsessed and really help them get better at it. So it doesn't have to be when they pick up the phone and say, Shobi, I need your help. But we are able to be obsessed about what they need, what, they, what environment they are operating in, just walking in, seeing the kind of metrics and data they have access to and they don't have access to. Um, seeing the level of engagement, how, how much are they really excited about the job or doing it because they need to be around. So all of yeah. this gives us lots of insights. So that's our session. 
I, I think every HR department should do that. So yes. do it. <laughs> do it. Um, so the other question I usually get for folks who are not new to design thinking for HR, you know, they want to know what are the barriers? You know, what, what are some obstacles that they might encounter? So can you share what barriers you encountered when you uh, started to bring design thinking to the organization and how did you overcome those? Okay, I'm going to start with this class, which is half full and half empty. Uh, and I'm going to make all of us understand that it's important to see what is full in your organization. Because there will be a situation where you have a set of conditions which are absolutely the right time, and then there will be the half empty piece as well. I'll come to the half empty, but let me just start with what worked for me. What worked for me was really the fact that I was working with people who understood it. So I quickly got in, in the program, in the sessions, in the co-creation, a set of people who understood and was curious and open about it. If I just wanted to make this an enterprise-wide event on day one, I would have struggled with both sides, people who are bought in and people who are not. And trying to get the whole class into the class to get started would have been a, a huge amount of effort and would have just not the starting. If there's a starting problem, I call it a, if you have a starting problem, you start small. If you have a starting problem, you just start with people who are ready to be in it. So it was, it was that. It was that mindset of an experiment and the assurance that, you know what, if it doesn't work, we're not going to do it, but it works. You know it works and people love it. So measuring success is not just about, okay, 30 people went through a design thinking workshop and what kind of amazing ideas were, um, were launched in the market or how did it end outcomes is not the only measure because you will get there and I didn't get there in multiple cases. Uh, but what's important is, did they have fun? Did they learn something new? Did they experience something new? Did they start thinking in a new way? Are they behaving differently? The engagement, the, the level of, it's the how, what went into it. And that's what I started measuring. And I used our social media, our internal social media, to put things out, put in the comments there, so people are aware of what's happening. The second thing, which is about the barriers is, so, so measuring success in, is in more than outcomes, but also the engagement. Um, the second thing that I went into was really about putting all our um, learnings in the social media, the internal social media that we have. What it helps is I have my global colleagues going in there, uh, looking into some of my blog posts and some of the materials I post there, recreating something completely different and amazing. And I learned from there. So there was another instance where I reached out to a colleague of mine who's running an amazing hackathon. And I said, hey, I'd love to bring that to Manila and to Singapore and to China. And he said, hey, it's funny you're saying that because I love you the way you set up the Singapore. And that's exactly what helped me get going with this. So the energy is amazing to kind of put things together, similar people connected and and actually creating a better version of what you had created before. So you would want to now take that. So that's the energy. Um, and the third piece is practice. Like I said, design thinking is not knowledge. But once you've done that, how do you practice? So we've had various hackathons coming in. 
some of the hackathons and idea. So hackathon is for developers and the ones which are not uh, non-IT, I, I, I call them ideathon or just give a different name. Um, those are places where you will learn the principles of design thinking, convergent, divergent thinking, get going and come back with something new, presenting a new pitch. Um, some of them, those were successful and a lot of them were not successful in the first few months. And I was kind of, is this an extracurricular? Is this something that we should be putting our efforts into? So those questions are asked, but don't worry, because if you keep measuring both the how and the what, um, there is a, a whole level new, it's an evolution. And once you go there, you can't go back. Yeah, and so you mentioned sort of the global scope of this. Have you seen differences in, you know, reception towards the method in different geographies and cultures? Um, yes, I did. Um, so what I see is if you start a wave of a hackathon, in it's much easier to scale up the participation in the U.S., because I think that it's been in practice for a much longer period of time. There, there is um, in Asia, especially in Singapore, in um, Australia, in Hong Kong, these are places, uh, India, these are places where Hackathon has been quite successful because they do, they love it. They, they really get on with it. Um, but when I went into the design thinking workshop in um, China, actually Shanghai and Korea as well are amazing because they, they love the concept, they just pick that up. But what I see is the participation on the practical part of it, I would get, yeah, a, a bit of um, varied participation. So it won't get sold out. It would be mm. awful. But my uh, effort is continue doing it because it's a starting problem. Those uh, participants will turn into champions and will call the rest. So there's a level of, um, I think cautiousness or, um, so there is a slightly different level of participation that I see across, uh, I don't know if it's cultural um, or possibly it is something to do with, uh, with also, the, also the way we worked before, right? As a bank, we uh, typically don't co-create um, a technology solution with non-technologists or a business solution for consumers with non people who are in support functions. So again, being the bridge is a bit hard because people on the other side are not used to doing things that they are. So if you co-create, there is a level of um, meaning. So I see a lot more uh, participation uh, in, in uh, what my US colleagues have started in a hackathon, for example. Um, but I think well, what's nice is we're all in it together. And it kind of takes a whole set of design thinking crusaders to to be together, and it takes all of us. Yeah, I like that. Design thinking crusaders. So speaking of, um, what's your favorite design thinking resource or hack that you can recommend to our fellow crusaders? Awesome. So what I love about design thinking workshops are the games. So we do, um, I, I am a a fan of games because it's like a warm-up just like my dance classes i would warm up before we get into the the main class um the games are a 
brilliant way of actually telling them what we're going to go through. So before you go into an intensive divergent convergent thinking, what I would tell them to do is really exercise that creativity. And one of my favorite games is this Batman and Robin, where um, it, it's it's pair up. And one person is Batman, the other person is Robin. Robin's job is to come with problems. Batman, Batman, the library's on fire. And Batman says, always with optimism and resilience, I know what we can do. We're going to take all the water from the river and we're going to put out the fire. And then Robin comes and says, Batman, Batman, all the books are wet. And then Batman says, I know what we can do. We're going to take all the hair dryers from the room and we're going to dry them up. Batman, Batman. So it goes on for a minute and then they swap. It's hilarious. It really brings home the point that customer problems, solving customer problems is not just one one problem statement. It goes on and goes on and goes on. So it's that little determination and hurdles that you have to keep going, keep going, keep going. It's a never-ending journey, but it's the optimism and the resilience and that, uh, yes, we know what we can do that keeps you going. So be the back. I'm going to add that to my toolkit. I didn't know that one yet. Um, So in summary, what tips do you have for those who want to get started using design thinking in the field of income? Okay, I'm going to summarize some of the stuff that I've just said. One is just do it because sometimes there's a starting problem and it's not really you like something, but the only way to really realize how it feels, how it acts, how it, uh, how it, um, is in reality is to practice it. So, and every iteration is a better version of the last one. So just keep doing it. The second one is measuring. Measuring success is not just on the outcomes or what I call the lag indicators at the end of the event, at the end of the session, what did we get? But it's about the how, how is it going? So constantly engaging the experience, the engagement, and the way to do it is put it out on a social media or encourage a lot of commentary because that gives you hard data or testimonials to really see the engagement and show it up that this is what people are saying. And the third one is your grit. Don't give up because persistence, there's going to be the half empty. There will be people who will question, are you really wasting all your energy or effort, the time, money of so many people? But don't give up because at the end of the journey, everybody, I mean, every day is designed and everybody loves design. And so that's a great segue into the last question. Normally, I bring a quote and react to it, but I understand you brought a quote. So I'll let you share your quote and let us know why you picked it and why you brought it for us. Thanks, Nicole. So my favorite is this amazing graphic designer, Lucille Tenazes, and she comes from Manila, from Philippines, this part of the world. So she's an American uh, graphic designer, and she runs a school of her own. And what she says is, design is a way of thinking. You produce an artifact or you produce a system, right? And you set, put a few sets of conditions and you create half of the equation and leave it there for the rest of your participants to come in and co-create that. So I love it. I love that philosophy that design is not about choreographing your entire piece of work or completing the design of your entire employee experience. It's about co-creating. It's about participant-led. It's about employee-led. It's about human-centered-led. So allow for 
every iteration to co-create and take it to a new level because that's what design is all about. It's about a way of working. It's about a way of looking at the world. Um, and, and, and I just love that, that quote. That's such a beautiful way to end our session today. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Um, greetings to Singapore. And um, everybody, I hope I see you at the next town session. Bye. Lovely. Bye-bye.